Hi, this is Tom Rhodes. Please join me as I scour the four corners of the earth to bring you interesting and intelligent, funny people who will enrich your life with wisdom and laughter. I'll take you to Europe, Australia, all over America. I might take you to the peaks of Machu Picchu, the canals of Amsterdam, the Great Wall of China, or the swamps of Florida, and certainly the many, many comedy clubs and comedy theaters all over the world. Come hang out with me and meet the many interesting people that pop up in my life as I travel the world as a stand-up comedian. You're listening to Tom Rhodes Radio. Karate kick, baby. Rock and roll. Welcome to Tom Rhodes Radio. I hope everything is great in your world, wherever you're at, and I appreciate that you're listening to the show. I want to start out today's program by giving a few shout-outs to some people that sent me some nice messages in the past week. Uh, Number one, I want to say hey to Ben. Hey, Ben. Ben is from a small town in Australia, and he took a chance, and he moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, for a woman, for a love story. And he's a fan of the podcast. He said, listening to my life of adventure inspired him to take the chance in his life. And hey, Ben, I hope this turns out to be the greatest experience of your life. Also, I want to give a shout out to Jorgen in Norway. Hey, Jorgen, where the hell are you in Norway? Guy loves my podcast and he loves my special on Netflix, Light Sweet Crude. You know, it's a funny thing about show business. The number of followers you have on Twitter, your likes on your fan page on Facebook, all that stuff means a lot to certain people. The bean counters, if you will. The people at the top. The gatekeepers. My Netflix special, I'm looking at the comments on there and I'm kind of getting pounded by some negative comments. So I'm asking you, as a personal favor, if you love me, Tom Rhodes, to go on Netflix and leave me some nice comments for my special, Light Sweet Crude. That would mean the world to me. Today's guest is Natalia Tenna. I just met Natalia in London And she knocked me off my feet when I met her. Number one, we did the tango instantly when we met. I won't tell you the story of how we met because it's at the very beginning of this conversation. But I think she's a feminist icon, ass-kicking, badass woman. She's an amazing actress who started very young. Her first role was in the Hugh Grant movie, All About a Boy, which I got to watch on the flight back from London to the States. Thank you, British Airways for having about a boy on there. And she was in the Harry Potter movies. She's got great information about that, that experience, what that was like. And then also, the hottest show on television right now is Game of Thrones. And Natalia was also. She's been a reoccurring character in Game of Thrones. So you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, could this possibly get better? Yes, it does. She is the lead singer and creative force behind a very badass ass-kicking band called Molotov Jukebox. Their brand new album just came out a few days ago and it's called Carnival Flower. You're gonna hear her music. All the music that's in this episode is from Molotov Jukebox. And Natalia is the lead singer. She's one of the coolest people I met on my entire trip to Europe. And it's my pleasure to present to you now the one and only Natalia Tena. Let's paint a little picture here. I met you 
Uh, my good friend Joseph Wilson. Yes. I arrive in London. He asked me to do his uh, pub, above a pub gig mm -hmm. in Camden Town, Coolsville. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to do a friend a favor. I've got some cool gigs coming up I wanted to warm up for. And this twat heckled me I hated right him. from the moment I came on. I hated him. He was awful. He was such a chav. And his girlfriend as well was awful. In the interval, I went up to him and I was like, you need to shut up. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, he's making them funny. And I was like, you're an idiot. No, he's not. And then eventually, in the second half, when you went there, we did a podcast. And I did basically just point and say no at him repeatedly till he left. Well, my wife pointed out, she goes, you would love this woman. She, this coolest thing happened. She came up and she chastised this guy <laughs> and told him what a douche he was. And it turned out to be you. Uh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> so the fact that you went up and told this guy, you were wrong, mate. And, uh... <laughs> You're fucked for screwing up the show. I liked you before I met you. Yeah, oh, thank you. Well, I noticed he was he was making comedians drop jokes because you get some hecklers that actually you can respond off when I've seen comedians do it, and it's great. It actually can help. But this guy was just he was just saying nothing, wasn't he? Right. And when you get heckled before you even start, you know, I didn't even have a chance to like establish the first joke. Yeah. So I had to like hit this guy with a barrage of comeback lines and then I'm starting out in the hole. But so I thought it was really cool as a fellow performer for you to tell this guy what a douche he was. <laughs> uh, and then I meet you downstairs uh, later in the evening when everybody's having some drinks mm -hmm. and um, I taught you the basics of the tango. Yeah, it was great. That's Done. a good way to meet somebody. Done. 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 I'm going to use that tonight after this glass of wine I'm going to go and tango by myself on the street like a lunatic um, now you're you're, you're in you share, you're in a band with um, yes Tom Wilson Joseph Wilson's brother which is the you know how we met I guess yeah and we call him Tom Tom Wilson Wilson why because he's good with directions because he's the only man whose nickname is his real name he's just an incredible human he's possibly one of the funniest people I know my father told me he named me Tom because he never met a Tom he didn't like. Oh, there you go. See that? Yeah. I've never met Dave I haven't liked, actually. Dave's another solid name, I think. Yeah? I don't like Claire's. I've never met a nice Claire. Really? No. They've all been cunts. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I need to meet one soon at some point, but I was going to be called Claire, actually. That was my other name. I'm so glad they called me Natalia because I would have just ended up hating myself more. My whole life. But you got you, you got Spanish roots. Yeah. Your parents are from Spain. So how did you turn out so cool in such a miserable, moldy climate? I don't know. I mean, my mum's a bit mental, so maybe that, that helps. She's a kind of angry, dark midget. And my dad's kind of from the Basque country, so he's very big and hairy. and He's even got a hairy ass. He's really hairy. So I'm kind of in the middle. Is he a separatist? No, he's not. He He's... he's he, be he believes he's Spanish, really. Like, he can't even speak Basque at all, which is rare for someone that is Basque. But, you know, he's the kind of man that doesn't like conflict. So that's just, for him, politically another conflict, so he just stays away from it. We were in Barcelona before we came to London for shows, and I met this guy at a bar. He was drunk, and he was like, get out of Spain. Nothing good will come from here. <laughs> Nothing good will ever come from Spain. And I was like, have you tried the shaved pig leg? <laughs> It's fucking delicious. The tongue in blood, they fried. I would move to Spain based on that shaved pig leg. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, I was also in Barcelona, I was telling her um, that I was doing a film uh, called 10,000 Kilometers, and I was there for a month and a half. And yeah, they are quite separatist there, you know, but you can you can sense that they do have a very different culture, you know, and the language as well. I mean, I 
my belief is if you want to be if you want to separate from someone just do it let them do it you know let Catalonia be Catalonia let the Basque country be Basque if, that, if that's what they want just just let it happen so uh, how much do your Spanish roots influence your music and your lifestyle I think what well, being Spanish since I was a little girl you know, we have lots of clapping. We clap a lot in Spain. Yeah, you cast the nets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Well, my mum can do a bit of cast the nets and my aunt as well. But in general, every, you know, 24th of December, which is when we celebrate Christmas, and then the 6th, everyone just gets drunk and claps and sings, you know. So clapping was always part of my life. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that's what, obviously a rhythm already is there. And my mum always played, you know, uh, the guitar and everyone would sing in like three, four part harmonies naturally, which is... You know, I've realised from now chatting to English mates that they didn't grow up with that. They kind of, they don't have music in the house, which I always had. So I suppose that Latin vibe has always been there. Did your mom play that like sexy Spanish guitar? No, no. She, she just played chords and shit like that. But there was, you know, she knew all the, I think in Spain, and they've got it in Ireland and Scotland as well, is that they have still a strong sense of folk song. So anyone in Spain can play a song that everyone in a pub will sing along to. In England, we... The closest thing to that is maybe the Beatles, like a Beatles song everyone would sing along to, but they don't have like the kind of that old school traditional vibe here anymore. Do you feel a superiority over the English? No, absolutely not. Everyone's <laughs> a cunt music- equally. <laughs> everyone. Like, I mean, you know, it's there's some amazing music here. It's one of the one of the biggest exports, isn't it? Yeah, I think England, uh, England single handedly saved rock and roll in the last yeah. 20 years. Yes, single-handedly. The Arctic Monkeys. I love the Arctic. Do you like the Arctic? I Monkeys? think they're from Canada, actually. What the Arctic Monkeys? Aren't they from Montreal? No, no. no I th- well, they're fuck northern. me. They're northern. They're northern. Are from they? the north of England? Yeah. I apologize to anyone from the northern England. That's the other thing you told me the other night. You said you really loved the American accent. Oh yeah, it's so hot, man. The Texan one, especially when I was fifteen, I went to Texas, and at the time I was like chubby with lice and dreads. And so I wasn't getting any in this country at all. But I went there and my accent to them was hot. Sexy, totally. And even though it's like full of rednecks and, you know, they were kind of rude to all the Mexicans being Spanish, my heckles were immediately like, what? I did find them quite sexy. You know, these cowboy with the pickup truck. What? Mine. I love it. It's so hot. And you said the other thing, um, forgive me, I mean, you were a little boozy at the moment, but you said you loved the, you found the American accent really sexy. You said, but the Northern England accent. Yeah. And you said, oh. and you go, the Scottish accent, forget it. When I hear a Scottish accent, I want them to come on my face. Wet, wet everywhere. That's just what you Niagara, told me. Just Niagara. And everything. you spoke those words to me, and I thought, I want to record an episode of my podcast with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> She's hilarious. Well, that's the thing, it's a shame, because my boyfriend is... Um, his mum, you know, his mum's Scottish. They all come from a big Scottish family. I think he's even got his own fucking kilt. Wow. What? Like his own thing. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but he doesn't have a fucking Scottish accent. It's like, and he can't put it on either. So I don't know what to do. Like maybe when we have sex, we should have that in the background. <laughs> it's a Scottish man talking about the weather. Nothing to do with sex. Brilliant. <laughs> So, uh, what about the accordion? How did the, did you start playing the accordion when you were really young? No, I started playing the piano when I was five because I I thought that the fifties existed when I was five. I thought they were they were then, and so my first love was kind of like Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Little Richard. That that's what I thought was then. Now now then the present, and uh, and I wanted to do that kind of sexy piano vibe. So I did that for years, but I learned classical music, and that just fucking killed the love for me. 
you know, I, I played, I did all the grades and at 18 I was like, I never want to touch the piano again. And then years later, when I was 21, I was doing a play with this amazing company called Nihai, where I was a trapeze artist. So I had to learn to trapeze and, uh, and I was like, and all the actors had to learn instrument. And they pulled out like loads of instruments from the attic in this barn in Cornwall where you rehearse. And there was a mini accordion and it was like love at first sight. You know when owners like want a dog and they go, they pick the dog that's like them. I was like, that's my instrument, where have you been? So I, I uh, made the director um, have me on, on, with an accordion on the trapeze with nipple tassels. Wow. Like, I want massive, heat, like not like joke ones, like just volcano erupting. <laughs> yeah. And I had these wings and I played it for like a few months and I left it. And then I met my now boyfriend in another band and I was like, I don't want to just be a backing singer. So I picked it up again. And I'd never been to a festival. At 23, I'd never been to a music festival. So when I broke up with my then boyfriend, it felt like having a divorce when you're 40. I was like, I want to try everything. I want to do everything. I nearly got a tattoo of the Virgin Mary in the Whore of Babylon on each ovary. That's how kind of big this breakup was. And then I didn't sleep for eight days. And I took an accordion with me to a festival. I didn't sleep for eight days, and that's when I learned it. Well, I have to admit, um, I've never been a fan of the accordion. It's a weird instrument. It's a bizarre instrument, and it can, and played a certain way, it can be very annoying, like that kind of Eastern European uh, busker that I've seen that in Amsterdam and yeah. stuff that they always come over for the summer. But last night, I watched all of your band, Molotov Jukebox. Uh, videos and you are you rip the thing into shreds and it's it's very sexy the way you play it oh yeah that's what I want our mission is to try and make everyone get laid at the end of the night you told me that the other night that's you said what you, I want you want everyone to go home and fuck after your yeah. show yeah and the single people to me and just I want people to smile and feel like our, our new album is called Carnival Flower and it's coming out on the 31st of March and I want basically to bring a bit of Rio and a bit of the sunshine because we've, we've done tours there and I want to bring that to like London where it's just fucking grim and you know and sometimes you see bands play and they're like just trying to be all cool you know they just care about being cool and they're not smiling on stage and that pisses me off so I mean I'm just there I just want to have fun I want to make them have fun I want to make everyone get laid have a good night what a great selling point for a band yeah we're thinking about making condoms (laughs) models of jukebox condoms so I can throw them at the fucking audience neon condoms glow in the dark ones have you ever tried those? They're going to, yeah. They are amazing. Yeah, and, you turn uh, the light on and you're like, I can see. oh, it's like you can play hide and seek. Well, uh, I used to do a joke about it. I'd put it under a strong light bulb all day, and then I'd, the girl would be in a dark room, and I'd kick open the door like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a wow. I and am then, your father. And then uh, you start pumping. <laughs> you start pumping really fast. It looks like a strobe light. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get epilepsy. The end. <laughs> You were trying to get epilepsy. Do you That's have amazing. a big following in Brazil? Because you just did a tour there. Yeah, we did a tour. We've done two tours. And we do have a big following there. But they, in South America, they're not big on, on buying records. Do you know what I mean? Like over, on iTunes and stuff. They kind of stream stuff much more. So Food for the day or music. Yeah. Food yeah, for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but when we went there, it was just, I mean, it was ridiculous. The first night we got there, we got Caipirinhas are fucking strong. They're not like in England where they have measures. There they just pour this fucker. And we had two, and after two, after we landed, Max, our drummer, nearly got shot because he tried to climb climb a private house because he thinks he's a stuntman when he's drunk. And this guy with a gun just pulls up and we're like, Max, go! And uh, our manager nearly got taken by the police for taking pictures of it. So that was our first night in Brazil. And then we went, we ended up in a favela. 
you know the favelas where they're like the, all the poor areas and it's like pretty dark going there but after <coughs> we played our massive tour it was a friday night and i was like i want to play music tonight like it's friday night so we got taken to the favela and we got paid in cachaça um, this liquor, but it was the cachaça they made in the back room, so it basically made us blind. I bruised my face with my accordion playing. That's how drunk we got, but we still managed to pull it off. <laughs> and then as we left, I suddenly, I mean, I, I get really tanned easily because I'm Spanish, but I suddenly realised it's like me and like five white guys with like instruments and like lots of expensive equipment. And as we were leaving the favela, all these people that were sitting there suddenly got up and I suddenly realised they were about to steal everything so I just took out my accordion I was like tu goza la musica and they were like yeah and I started playing I was like just play just fucking play song and they stopped trying to mug us and danced but then with the trumpet solo this guy came out of his house and he was doing it really nonchalantly he wasn't like that threatening but he had a gun and he went up to Angus and he was like please shut the fuck up my kid's trying to sleep and we were like and now it's time to go so that was our favela experience it was fantastic we didn't die
So did you purposefully choose a tour where you would just play in Brazilian ghettos? Yeah, I mean, I really loved that whole vibe. It's it's so beautiful. We did re- we did all the big stages, but then I really wanted to do little gorilla ones because the first time we went, we went with no plan or idea. On the way there, we we, we went on Christmas Day because we're all atheists and it's cheaper. So we went. We all dressed up as in Christmas gear on the plane by Madrid when there was a stopover. We were already hammered. We met two strippers in Madrid airport that got off with two of the band. One of them got his dick stuck in a zipper. Actually, like something about Mary. This is all just on the flight there. And the, the stewardess is like, if you don't calm down, we're going to get the police on the other side. <laughs> and then we ended up in Bahia, which is like the be- this beautiful place. And we met some fucking mad characters. I met a woman that looked like Mickey Rourke's mum, who only <laughs> o- owns like five hotels in like the most beautiful area. Only drinks vodka and take cocaine. That's what she lives off. That's it. That is it. And this woman paid us loads of money for private gigs. We just met her. It was just like, it was just pure chance. But every single place we went, we just got more gigs. What was your favourite thing about Brazil? The, oh God, everything. The coke. The fact that every night we drank loads. The cocaine. Every drink. We drank every, we drank (laughs) everything dry. And the next day, because you've got coconut water and a beach, you don't get hungover. You have acai, coconut water, go for a swim. You go play a gig where everyone is having it. At one point, I was sweating so much. I was trying to like rub my hands on my dress to play because, and everything was wet. I was just sliding everywhere, but it was just, and the people just fucking have it. And they, they're good at clapping. You know, in England, I've tried to do that thing where like, everyone clap this beat. No, 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 fail. Everyone can't do it. In Brazil, they just do it naturally. They don't even tell them. Everyone had cocaine. No, no, everyone just clapped. Oh, everyone clapped. just did it. Everyone clapped in rhythm. Whereas in England, they don't do that. So the audience there are just, they're so rhythmic as a nation. It's brilliant as a band. What are some of the biggest gigs? Have you, have you done like the Glastonbury Festival and all yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah, we've done, we've done, we did once, with two years, we've done five gigs in one night at Glastonbury. That was mental. And we've done them a lot. But then last year, I was like, look, I've got so many films I'm doing. Like I did a film called Super Bowl with this stand-up comedian that is amazing, Brett Goldstein. And, and then I was filming in Barcelona, 2000 kilometers. So I was like, look, the only gigs we're doing this summer are well-paid, well, like well-slotted gigs. But we had Glastonbury, we had the amazing tent, 3,000-person tent. That was huge. And my ex-boyfriend, who kind of helped me learn music, the one that just before I went mental and started going to festivals, he turned up and watch the gig and I've always wanted him secretly to watch one of my gigs because he taught me how to kind of write songs <laughs> but at the time I was wearing a lobster hat and I said this next song is for everyone that hates their exes like me so that wasn't great but I styled it out I think that's like a fantasy moment you know you always think as a performer you know that person that dumped you will be there and you're a star and you're, yeah, and you're going to be good you're like, being loved you, by just thousands of people yeah. <laughs> the other great one we did was with the kooks in Berlin and Milan, and they're a, you know they're a massive band, and you know we were supporting them, and our music's very fucking different, and we were like this could go really badly, and there were a few people with Molotov t-shirts, and everyone did dance, it was good, but that was terrible. It's like five thousand, six thousand people, and you're just like oh fuck, and like this sounds really good, so if you fuck up even one note, everyone can hear it. It's really really terrifying. <laughs> What were the basics of uh, learning how to write songs that the guy taught you that you still 
You, do you write all your own songs? Yeah, we write all our own songs. The band does it together, or you come in with like lyrics uh, and stuff? Well, basically, at the beginning, because I had this whole, I had like a whole list of songs, so the first lot were mostly mine that I brought. But then recently, Adam, the guitarist, and Sam, we sit around and we kind of, we birth a song with a lot of red wine at Adam's house. And it's a long process. And usually one of us will come with a riff or like an idea. Like we've got a, a new song on the album that's about altruistic suicide. Because there was this fucking explorer, um, Lawrence Oates, that went with Scott, the first like British crew that went to the South Pole. And they fucked up massively because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing at all. I mean, they went basically in like normal shoes. They tried to take horses. It didn't work. And the Norwegians beat them anyway. So when they got there, it was like, ah, oh. they turned back. And on the way back, this guy got frostbite really badly. And um, he knew he was holding back his companions. So one night he was like, uh, in a very English way, he was like, uh, I'm going outside and maybe some time. And just fucked off to die in a blizzard. <laughs> and I was like, we need to write a song about this fucking guy. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> English politeness. Just, just beyond. Do you know what I mean? That, that was it. Honestly. while I go die. I'm going to die. I may be some time. What? Are you and they all died anyway. But that sentiment of like someone dying for a greater good to help. I was like, we've got to write a song about that. So that's one of my new songs I'm quite excited to buy. I thought about you this morning. I'm flipping through the newspaper and, uh, you know, they're having these big protests in Ukraine right now and all the men are at the barriers and there was this one photo oh yeah inset photo of um the women preparing the molotov cocktails for the men uh and it was just like it was like about six women and they're all like pouring the gas yeah. into the bottles and putting the little uh cloth uh, wicks on the top yeah man. Like, that should be like a um um insert pull out or something on your next yeah album. it really sh i mean that's kind of why because sam picked the name he picked it at the same festival where I didn't sleep for eight days and I was dressed as a kind of neon chainsaw massacre tank girl and I was climbing a tent with an accordion and someone was like, what are you guys called? And it was just me and Sam at the time and he just came. We'd been working on the name for ages and he suddenly went, Molotov Jukebox. And it came from that similar revolution but the fact that so many bands, when you hear an album, I find they've got their one single and then every all the other songs are kind of a diluted version of that good thing and I was like no I don't want that I want I want to be able to do an album where one song is entirely reggae one song's soul one song's dubsteppy cumbia whatever and no one's gonna bat an eyelid so jukebox that's kind of where it came everything I saw last night watching all your videos it's all your songs are really like happy party dance yeah but songs. some of the, like I was expecting there's a lot of sex and death though about with it. the name I was expecting you know like a little pussy riot feminist uh, ah. you know well uh, I'm definitely a feminist obviously but this the kind of, I think we're, we're quite happy people, but we do have a lot of songs about death. I am very fixated on that and sex. It's like the two, I think it's the two things that drive all of us, really. We're going to die, we're going to die, let's fuck, let's fuck, fuck it, fuck it. You know? <laughs> Basically. That's what it all comes down to. In one, I mean, in some, obviously Jung would disagree and say dreams, blah, blah, blah. But I'm with Freud on this one. There's a lot of, you know, these, these two big passionate things to kind of drive us to do so many things. Like when I'm scared, before a gig, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Everyone in this room is going to die. I'm going to die. Like, that's the worst thing that can happen to me in my life, really. So, I mean, I haven't been tortured, but do you know what I mean? Like, in general. So, I think when you have that in the back of your mind, you're less scared of doing anything. Who are your uh, greatest heroes and influences? <gasps> Ooh, well, music, I don't know. Musically, well, normally, I love Ayan Hirsi Ali. 
after you fucking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From she Howard. is. She oh, yeah. is literally. Basically, after <coughs> you left that night of the gig, I basically after I told that guy to leave, I then became a bit of the heckler. So they were doing this podcast, and I was checking because my American agent was going to send me an email. Like an email popped up from Ayan Hifsiali because two weeks before, off my face on a Friday night, I was having a rant about inequality and and and, and female genital mutilation as usual. Sometimes when I'm drunk, it's, uh... and I was like, "Fuck all you cunts! I'm going to write her an email." And she, you know, and it was a really long email, but a drunk one. But she did respond, and she, I got it at the gig. And obviously I was at the front and I went, <gasps> and the comedian was like, what? And I was like, oh my God, my idols just responded. <laughs> and I kind of fucked up their show actually. But uh, she's definitely one of my massive idols. She's an incredible woman. I love her. I, did you read her biography, yeah, this yeah. year, autobiography? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is incredible why. Incredible story. She was going to just... have to go marry some guy in I Germany. Know. And then she breaks away and she goes to Holland. Yeah. She's got no money whatsoever. Yeah. And she's got her own charity now, AHA, because I didn't know about the charity because all the albums that people buy through Pledge, through what we're selling our album, which is how we've made the album happen financially through all the fans, a percentage of that goes to stop to Orchid, which stops female genital mutilation. But um, I mean, it's a great charity, but the next one I want to support is her one because it also stops forced marriage and honor killings. So she's all about that and kind of, you know, it's, it, she's just huge. They've got a fat war against her, I think, because of yeah. the thing. I mean, because she, of the movie she yeah. made, and they killed, uh, and they killed Theo, uh, um, Theo Van Gogh. They fucking carved a death threat on his chest. They, uh, the guy shot him, and he he stabbed him a bunch of times, and he stuck a ten page or twelve page yeah, you, no, no. letter into his chest. Yes, with a knife. With a, I mean, yeah. Come on, like, how is this happening? Yeah, like for a, for a film. What? Yeah, yeah. For a movie, it's huge. So she lives in the States now, right? She's, she works for an American think tank. They took her in. They took her in, like, because uh, Amsterdam couldn't, uh, Holland couldn't. Argue. They couldn't pay for her security they couldn't, anymore. They couldn't. She was living in, like, an a Air Force base yeah, or something, on, sleeping ages. on a cot. Yeah. And, and she couldn't, you know, get hold of her family or anything like that. So she's a massive, you know, judge. I need to meet her before I die. So what did she say on the email? Um, she was like, thank you so much for, because, for, you know, I was like, how do I stop the oppression of women? through, you know, be it through religion or just general misogyny. How do I stop? And she was like, well, you can help through this. Thank you so much for writing to me. It just moved me so much that she even bothered to respond. Do you know what I mean? Especially when my email was crap. <laughs> <laughs> How can I help? You know, it's all <laughs> <laughs> I strongly believe in the power of a well-written email. Yeah. To get things done. Now, uh... Your acting career, I hope uh, you're pleased to find out that I have seen none of the Harry Potter movies and none of the Game of Thrones. Don't, literally, <laughs> don't worry about it. Anybody who's like a massive fan of yours is just is listening to this going, oh, what a cunt. No, no, this no, guy doesn't know anything. No, it's He's fine. sitting there with the coolest woman and he knows nothing. No, seriously, when I auditioned Harry Potter, I already came in the fifth one. So I hadn't... I like, only know you as that wonderful drunk person I met in the park. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I want you to take away from this. That is it. But when I went for the audition, they were already on, the, it was for the fifth one. And I got the script. And obviously I'd heard, you know, from the sidelines, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, you know, school, whatever. But I'd never got into it. And when I went for the audition, I literally didn't understand script 
it was like Russian to me. I thought Voldemort was a country. Do you know what I mean? I literally, and the first audition I did was terrible because I didn't understand the jargon. That I, I didn't know what I was saying. And then the third one, the third recall, I finally had read all the books and I went in actually maybe sounding like I knew what the fuck I was talking about. And now I've read, I mean, I love, I love it. And Game of Thrones is just, Every time I meet George R. R. Martin, I'm like, please make me queen of everything. Please, can I survive the series? He's awesome. Well, let's talk about Harry Potter first before we jump to that. So were you like really young when that started? I was, when I did that, I was t- my audition was when I was 21. Okay. So I was doing a play somewhere else. Because I, I saw one little clip uh, and you look like you're 15 years old. No, I was 21 then. The, 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 I started acting when I was, the first thing was about a boy. When I was like 15, 16 with the dreads. But that one, I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've only ridden the ride at Universal in Orlando. The Harry Potter ride. Have you? <laughs> You've ridden the ride? <laughs> yeah, I'm from Orlando. Oh my God, is it terrifying? <laughs> it's, no, it's okay. I need, I really, I've always realized that if my whole life goes tits up, I can always get a job there. Yeah. Like being totally. Tonks. I can just dress up as Tonks. <laughs> And just live off that. Get a pension, done. Right, you'd be the greeter. Done. So you got to ride a broom and everything, right? Mm-hmm. First day I went to the Harry Potter set, that they um they did a plaster cast of my face and my ass. And I was like, what is the ass one for? Like why do you it's a bit weird. You don't know why you're going to this massive place, you're a bit nervous, you know, you're 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 kind of like in awe of what you're about to go and work at. And they kind of had loads of like makeup and costume tests and the first day I went in, plastic cast of your ass. I was like, that's really fucking weird. <laughs> it's just the part I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> I'm, because you're just like you don't question it, let's just yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, do my ass. And it was for the broom. Because obviously in the first first films, they hadn't really solved like the kids that had to be up there for so long, they were literally sitting, I think, more or less on the broom and it was so painful on their ass. So they started making these kind of bum seats that were literally molded to your ass, that were amazing. And basically when I'd, I loved, this is my favorite bit of doing Harry Potter, you get on this high broom in a room that was just, I can't even express how big it is, like a fucking football stadium with a green screen everywhere, a camera that looks like a dinosaur, literally a dinosaur, and you're on this broom and Harry Potter is a tennis ball that you've got to act to. And there's like these two hot guys blowing hot air at you so you feel like just that down there so you're looking at these hot men like blowing air at you so it looks like you're flying that's that was my best day's work i think i was like this is absolutely fucking great this is amazing uh what's the greatest knowledge nugget you got from the harry potter experience what do you mean in way i don't know either from the books or the movies i mean what um what piece of knowledge um that would enrich people's lives how can i not ever have to watch them is what I'm saying oh okay well <laughs> well, I, I think it's a great what can you tell me that would save me the four hours oh I don't know what could save the four hours nothing I really think it's it's one of the most special things in the world like, actually when you're feeling a bit fragile hungover and all Christmassy I always watch a Harry Potter I never watch the ones I'm in but I always watch a Harry Potter movie it makes me feel so happy and warm inside it is just great it's it's all the characters it really does make you want to live in that world I can't believe I can't believe I didn't know about it till I was in it I know I'm going to watch all these things you've done and feel like a complete jackass for this uh, conversation but uh, Game of Thrones the clips I saw last night you talk about uh, powerful woman feminist icon mm. Uh, what, Osha, is that her name? Yeah. 
uh, holy fuck, you're like this really badass, ruthless woman. Yeah, I like her a lot. She's very feral, kind of. I lo- I love playing her a lot. I really hope she comes back. It depends. I, I want to see where he goes with the books because he now needs to write them. So hopefully he writes me in them. Well, I saw the clip with him and he said after meeting you, he wished he'd have written your character more. Yes! I love right. him. I love. I think it's because every time I, I, I see him, I just hug him a lot. <laughs> I hug him because literally, he's he's made my life. There's there's nothing like working on that set. I mean, it's just the, you know we're, we are in Belfast, so it's a bit rainy and cold when we're filming. But and some of the other fucking cast members are in Croatia and Malta. It's like yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Have a great life. <laughs> we're in Belfast, but it does make us bond, and it's it's so real. Like they. When, when you got when you do scenes like war scenes, they're you know the props making like dismembered horses are unreal. It really does feel like you're walking through a battlefield every day. It's fantastic. Uh, your character, you know, God, I, I saw you you slit a guy's throat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I got naked in one of them. Yeah, and I saw that one interview with you where Which, you said that you had a shaved muff. Yeah, I was very upset about this. Well, yeah. I, I didn't know until afterwards, but I did because I remember asking. Makeup and or someone, I was like, look, my character would definitely have just a whole lot of fucking bush down there. I mean, things, animals would live there happily. And I'm shaved, so should I grow? You know, tell me. I, I need a month at least to grow. <laughs> tell me. And then on the day, um, we just did it. And I, they, they, because they wanted to get a lower shot. And I didn't think they were going to use that shot. Because although I was asking, do I need a merkin? Do you know where Merkin comes from? What's a Merkin? A Merkin is like a a pube wig. So basically, in the 17th century, when everyone had syphilis, Mm. you would get Merkins because it would cover how, basically, the horrific state of your genitals. Wow. So men and women would have gherkins. Merkins. Merkins. (laughs) (laughs) Gherkin. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. Um... And uh, it, 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 what the, the, that is like one of the most, I mean, both of those franchises are the most uh, yeah. successful I can't things it. in modern entertainment. I blagged it. I feel, I feel So, I mean, how would your life change? I don't, you know, you're hanging out in a pub. It didn't seem like people were like going, no, holy fuck. No, no one recognizes me. No one. Uh, people from, when I went to America last year in LA for the third season, that was weird. I'd go into like places and people would high five me. And I think in America it's a really, it's a bigger thing. Here, I get it. I usually get it if, if when it's Sunday, so I tend to be a bit hungover on the way to the pub to see my mates for a roast. And if I'm wearing my, so in winter, when I'm wearing my fur coat and I'm hungover, that's when people recognize me. That's the only time I get like, are you that Osher bird? Because I look a bit bad. But in general, I, I think people don't, people never associate it. There's some amazing fans that have found us. Uh, uh, our music through that and they are all I just love all these people it's just like great that you've kind of followed on and actually bothered to care about my life and come and see our gigs thank you all of you well it seems like uh, Game of Thrones has got lots of murder and uh, fucking in it and, yeah uh, fantastic you know it's, uh, good TV let's that's go that's great I mean, and it's also very realistic to life in that you see a lot of shows where you're you know people prevail that maybe in real life wouldn't in Game of Thrones he's ruthless you know your characters that you've loved and known just suddenly die just die he kills off people and, and that's I, life I, isn't it yeah. and I love it because that is kind of in those in that kind of reality maybe 500 years ago which is basing on that's what life was like it was short and brutish and you know it was it was just like that you would kill for power and that that's what would happen 
I mean, it still happens, but not to the extent, I think, in, as it did in those days. Your character, from what little I saw last night, looks like uh, she was raised in the forest by wolves. Yes, she's a wildling. So in, in, in the world of Game of Thrones, there's, there's the wall, and above that is where the wildlings are. And they basically, they don't really want to get involved in the whole <coughs> north, uh, south of the wall politics, which... In the south of the wall, they believe in nobles, basically. They believe that you should bend the knee to people and everyone has a place. Wildlings from up there, they don't have that. They're no one's master. You're a very lucky girl, do you know that? Where I come from, we don't show mercy to criminals. Where I come from, if someone like you attacked a little lord, at low tide, we'd lay you on your back on the beach. Your hands and feet chained to four stakes. Sea would come in closer and closer. You'd see death creeping towards you a few inches at a time. Where's it you come from? The Iron Islands. They're far away. You've never heard of the Iron Islands? Trust me. You've never heard where I'm from, neither. Trust me, my lord. You're not living in the wilderness anymore. In civilized land, you refer to your betters by their proper titles. And what's that? Lord. Why? Why? What do you mean, why? My father is Balon Greyjoy, Lord of the Iron Islands. What's that got to do with you? If your father's Lord, how can you be Lord too? I will be Lord after my father. So you're not. Lord, now. No, you... Are you having a go at me? Is that it? Just don't understand how you southerners do things. I'm not a southerner. You're from south of the wall. That makes you a southerner to me. You're an impudent little wench, aren't you? Couldn't say, my lord. Don't know what impudent means. Impudent. It means rude, disrespectful. The women have more equality as well because they need to survive because it's harsher conditions. Um, from the books, you get a sense that they love children much more, which is why I get such a close connection with Bran, the, the character. You know, even though at the first episode I was meant, I was trying to kill him, by the third one I'm like this like proper lioness mother to him. So that's that's the kind of vibe. I'm a wild. I'm a wildling. It's great. Wow, it's beautiful. So how did you prepare for the audition for that? Did you like just go roll around and live in the woods for a couple well, days? Well, it was festival chewing season. On bark and... It was it was festival season and I went <laughs> I went I found the festival just before I went to the audition. I found this like wreath. Like you know in the festivals people wear these kind of like green shit on their heads and I found one on the floor. I went to the audition with that and this kind of brown weird dress and I hadn't read the books and they didn't give the rest of the script away so I only had that one scene and I just thought what kind of animal is she she's a kind of animal so I was like she's she's almost there's something feline about her like you know but also she's a bit raccoony so when I went to the audition I kind of talked about that I was like I think she's a bit of a raccoon and I did it but I didn't really know the world yet at all so then when we started the director would occasionally come up to me and go think raccoon Think raccoon, think raccoon. It kind of helps. If you've got, so it's weird. Different roles mean you do different things. Like the last role in Barcelona I did, I had a playlist for my character and we did so much improvised backstory. So that's one way to prepare. And then other ones are like... What was the Barcelona project? It's called 10,000 Kilometres. It's, it's going to go to Austin. 
South by Southwest. Oh, I'm going to go in March and I'm so excited. And it's kind of about Skype and long distance relationships. And it's just me and one other actor. And, you know, it's about their love and it's, it's heavy. He's a stand up comedian. So, Perfect. Yeah. So all the heavy shit didn't matter because we just laughed constantly. You know, when it was just getting too deep, it was just like... Just because Skype has uh, been a, a, a main focal point of our relationship uh, existing. And I always think, you know, had Skype existed many years ago, I wonder how relationships would have turned out. I mean, well, what, yeah. a, what especially you traveling as... Well, your boyfriend's in your band, so yeah, you Yeah, but even when thing. I don't travel, the thing is, this is what I disagree with, because I think Skype... Okay, you know, you, have you read Evelyn Wall, Handful of Dust? Mm-mm. There's this book that kind of was written when the telephone was coming in. So in England, when people started having telephones. And it, I mean, the books, there's a lot of things, but it does say that the more means we have to communicate, the less we're able to communicate honestly and purely. Essentially, that, that's one of the themes of his book. And kind of that's what happens in the film. It's that because of Skype, it's almost that's why the relationship starts to deteriorate. Because when I personally go away, I never, when I go away for like a month to Australia or working, I don't talk to my boyfriend every day at all, at all. I, I email him once a week. I don't want to, I don't want to ring him because I don't want to Skype him because he's not there and it makes it harder. I don't want to ring him because it's like, you're not in my world right now. So I write him letters and I feel like that's kind of, for me, that's what works. If I saw someone Skype every day, I think it would just, it's, and that's kind of what the film is about. Mm. It's great. The actors, he literally taught me so much. He's, so funny. I was so, this is what I meant. I was so blessed this summer to work on Super Bowl in 10,000 kilometers because it was like I worked with two stand ups. And, and who are they? Uh, uh, Brett Goldstein. So that was Super Bowl. He's a British comedian. He is one of the funniest men I've, I've ever seen. I, he had a show in Edinburgh that I went to see when we were working together. Just before we went to Edinburgh, he did it and, and you know, tried it out in Oldgate. And I laughed so much. And he's, you know, he's a feminist as well, which is great. And he's. T- I think he's going to be so a theatre soon, actually. He's, he's fantastic. And the second one is David in Spain. And like I said, every night, you know, to kind of wind down, we'd go to the same bar with this bearded kind of angry barman called Luis who never smiled unless you repeatedly hugged him. That's the only way. <laughs> By the end of the month there, he gave me a bottle of champagne when I left. So I broke his heart. Eventually I got there. Um, and we'd, we'd kind of get rid of all the kind of baggage of the day by drinking and playing shithead. Have you ever played that game? Mm. Card game. Best card game in the world. That can solve anything. <laughs> uh, it seems like your your acting career is completely on fire. So is it? Uh, is it? Uh, you just like book. You know, like I, these months I'm making a movie. These months I'm going to be working on the band. We're going to tour. Yeah. Well, I mean, are there enough uh, months in the year for you to do everything? No. Well, it basically, the, the hardship is is that. Like last year, I was like, I need to pick up the ball with acting because I'd spent so many months, like um, so many years doing festival seasons that I was letting the ball drop with acting. So last year, I was like, you know what? We're going to do an album, which means we're going to have a lot of time. To, so we, we've got time to work and I'm only going to do good, you know, good slots, good festival stuff while we make the album ready. And the next year is going to be about music. So this year, there's a few projects that I've, I've auditioned for that I might get, but they're all bit like they're all March, April, May. Because after that is just going to be banned. So you kind of have to make a decision because music books up seven months in advance. You'll get a call. Maybe it's similar stand-up. Like, they will book you for venues like that. Like, yeah, it's always, we're booked always yeah. six months in advance. Yeah, whereas acting, it's like, I could go to an audition tomorrow and get it. You can't, it, it, they are both very hard to combine. 
and my amazing manager Sirius and my agent Grace and Sarah and Stephanie and Laura, all of them, like just constantly battle to try and make it work, but it's very hard. What is the greatest advice you've ever been given as an actor? Oh, I know the answer to this. <laughs> oh, basically years ago, I went for this job. This woman in, I can't remember her name, but it, I could take you to her house in Archway. And it was a meet, I was meant to this audition, but she wouldn't, no, oh, no, fuck it, we're just going to do a meeting. And I was like, so I, I liked her because immediately she was like, you're not right for the role. Which is great because actually they say that a lot of the time you walk in a room, as soon as you walk in them, they already know yes or no before you've even spoken because they've got an image of that character. So she walked in and obviously thought, I'm definitely not going to, I'm not going to fit this bill. So she just sat and chatted with me and she told me to never be obsessed with acting as a, as a one thing. She was like, no one wants, basically you can hear desperation. It's a bit like a guy at a bar. If a guy tries to chat me up, and he's chatting me up because he hasn't been laid for ages and I'm just the only girl. You can sense it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas when someone actually likes it, it's the same thing. People can smell desperation. And I think when you go into an audition and you're kind of, your whole life is based on that decision, they can smell it. Whereas the times I've got jobs are usually like, when my, I, I go in fully prepared, but half my mind is um, thinking about something else. Like I might not have anywhere to live at that point or... I've just been dumped or I've just found the new love of my life or I'm, I'm thinking about finishing another song or usually when you go in with that energy that you've got a lot more stuff going on they can sense it and you get jobs it's really weird what is the worst <laughs> advice you've ever been given as an actor oh fuck <laughs> my worst <laughs> advice <laughs> the worst advice is probably I give myself my worst advice by listening to shit that you know, you shouldn't, you know, I, I kind of, you care too, you should, I, I, I care too much about what other people think. I think everyone does as a performer. You try not to, but there's that bit of you that actually does listen, that there's a funnel. And even though you go, no, and you build brick walls against it, it does funnel in. And you shouldn't read any press about yourself. Because if it's good, you're going to become a cunt. And if it's bad, you're going to be a, you'd shit at your job. So it's, just don't listen to yourself, basically, and just do what is naturally in there. Just be instinctive and don't listen. What about as a musician? What's the greatest advice you've ever been given as a musician? Uh, that would be probably from my ex-boyfriend. Well, firstly, actually, from from a, from one of my first piano teachers. I can't remember her name. Helen, maybe it was her name. But I remember her road, again, weird. I know I could stalk all these people in my life. Um... <laughs> But it's basically practice. When it comes to music, you need to practice so much every day till it becomes a joy to do scales. It becomes a joy. You've got to just keep practicing. Um, you still do scales even at this every point? Day, really? Every day. Yeah, because that's how you warm up. You know, like with, with singing as well, you have to... You do, you do that before. Oh my God, I so would you, hang myself if I lived next door to you. Yeah, I'm, this is why all the boats move. All the boats move. I once moored up next to a pregnant woman. She really hated me. Don't fuck with pregnant women. Do not, like, just don't. Just don't go there. Just They're dealing with a difficult time. Don't try and do scales in their face. Years ago, when I lived in San Francisco, I lived, I moved, when I first moved there, I lived in this apartment building, and there was a guy that lived above me, and he bought a guitar, and he was, uh, and he had a little amp, electric guitar, and he was, every day he would play Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> on death! The, death! Holocaust! One 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 day he was having some financial troubles, and they had a garage sale, 
and for $30, I bought that amp on the sidewalk, oh. and I never had to hear that. I still have that amp today. Mary has it's in my story. Lamb. It was the best $30 I ever spent. I never had to hear that, <laughs> <laughs> to hear that song ever Mary again. and Little Lamb. That's, you should have sacrificed a lamb on his door, just left a dead <laughs> lamb there. <laughs> Uh, you know, like you know, your uh, your character in Game of Thrones. Like I said, you seem like this perfect feminist icon, uh, badass. But like you know, in real life, you know, you're you're a really strong personality. You're, I think, you're uh, like the kind of eccentric artist. That, uh, you know that um, I, I find in so many of my heroes. You must attract a lot of wild and beautiful, crazy fucking people in your life. Yeah, I mean. The, I meet some amazing characters. I, a lot of the amazing actors that I meet actually, in, I mean, I could say film, but everyone knows them, but there are some amazing people in theatre that just haven't made that step. Like one of the first one I worked with is Scouser called Michelle Botterley. She's phenomenal. You just meet these characters, you're like, wow. Or Amanda as well, she was in the first play I did. And she's also a beekeeper. So she's an actor on the side. She, she, she has bees, just a huge swarm of bees in her garden. That's amazing. Uh, what about like the Philip Seymour Hoffman overdose? I mean, I mean, I'm I've always had uh, I've always been a wild lunatic party or never did heroin or anything. I mean, no. uh, you you seem like you like to have a, a good time. I mean, uh, is it uh, are actors and musicians as wild as comedians? I think so. I mean, it depends because I think with with both musicians and actors, you know, you can sometimes. It's almost like they go so far that then they go the other way. Which, I mean, they all become like vegan microbiotic. Right, yeah, I know loads so of those can, people. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think that can happen. And, and as hard as they were into drugs and alcohol, they went with vitamins and exercise. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But what I do, and I'm going to continue doing forever, and this is why I think I'm going to save myself, is I carbon offset my drinking and smoking by running every day half an hour. I run, and then I cycle everywhere. I walk everywhere. I, I start my day with like... Uh, hot lemon like whole lemon I'm obsessed with lemons fucking I have like three a day <laughs> hot lemon and manuka honey I take loads of vitamins and I eat loads of greens but then I'll go and like drink three bottles of wine like half an animal you just eat loads of flesh so I think if I ba- if you carbon offset your bad throughout your life and have that balance you c- you won't ever tip one way or the other because I, j- I just don't want to be vegan I, ju- I just don't yeah, I, I, I can't do that well, you're Spanish, there's no yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, in Spain, they think, when I took my friends there, they thought vegetarian meant you liked vegetables a lot, so they just put more fucking vegetables on your plate. Like, dead cow, triple the vegetables. That, like, that's going to help anyone. <laughs> uh, you made friends with Doug Stanhope. He's amazing. Basically, I didn't know who he was. Like, and we did, um, we did a BBC, BBC thing called, what was it called? Um, Luke, no. Loose, loose ends, right, that's it. But we did it after three festivals. So we'd done big, ch- basically we hadn't slept. I was in a state, I was wearing the same outfit. We'd slept in the car. We get there and Tom, who you know, obviously knows Joe, um, was going, oh my God. He was texting Joe going, we are doing this with Doug Stanhope. And he sent him like a text every 15 minutes, just going, fuck you. Just every 15 minutes, just fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Come and we didn't know who he was. So I walk in the room and it's all silent. And you have to be in the same room before you play, but be quiet. And they started interviewing him and I 
I just, you know, it's like being a kid in an assembly that like you, you just can't stop laughing. I was like trying. I was like, I can't believe this person's saying this on the BBC. Are they going to sue him? Is there going to be a problem? And I saw his girlfriend who was in pyjamas and I was looking like a state and I was like, she's my team. So the BBC afterwards take you to the pub and they're like, oh, free lunch and wine. Obviously they didn't know us. We all ordered like a bottle of wine each as soon as we got there. <laughs> Amazing. And we met this person. I was like, bingo. She's fantastic. His, his partner. And we immediately made friends with him. And then he said, uh, <laughs> he said, look, come, come see my show for free. Come. So we all went and then we got really drunk, stole some police hats. I don't know where we got them from. And ended up in garlic at shot, at garlic and shots. You know yeah, we were, we've yeah. been there twice. That, that, jo- that. Joseph Wilson took us there. That's, Those that shots was... damage your colon entirely. <laughs> like, actually, it's just hurting both ends. It's just... Um, so we went there and then, then he rang us up and was like, well, will you guys um, be our support act? We'll pay you in Jägermeister. Yes, obviously. So we did this kind of gig for him and I've got a few kind of joke songs that we did when we first started. I made up this song called Jog On about obese people and this other one uh, that's a kind of <laughs> about how shit it is living with someone that you love. So we kind of did a few of the joke songs and we, we performed for him and then he just paid us an Jägermeister. It was a great night. Where did you open for him? It was at the Leicester Square place. Oh, Leicester Square Theatre. Yeah, oh, and, nice. and the night that we opened for him, it was the... Because he, he was in London during the whole of the Edinburgh Festival and the night that we supported him was the night when all the comics came back so they all came to see him. So the, the party afterwards was just... Just brilliant. I, like comedians and musicians have, they've got a good relationship. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just definitely. work together. I think. Yeah, uh, and I love Doug. I've uh, uh, done mushrooms at his Arizona compound. With Mate, him. I've seen pictures of that place. That is that is mushrooms. You look at it and you're like, yeah. look at that driveway. It, they painted it like Doctor Ma- Zeus yeah, colors, yeah, yeah. and then the 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 uh, yard was gravel, and then they painted yeah. the gravel like yeah, blue. purple and pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just <laughs> Willy Wonka on drugs, basically. Just, yeah. I love them. Um, so, uh, what's the best laugh you've had lately? Oh my God. On Twitter, my, my, my mate Danielle sent me this, this email exchange of, this is one of the best things I've ever <laughs> read in my life. This, this, this arsehole was, is asking someone to do him logos and this guy just responds. It's, it's on my Twitter. It's amazing that today I was on my boat and between accordion practice, I was just crying with laughter alone. The cats got scared about how much I laughed. So that's probably one of the biggest laughs that email exchange. And what was it? Um, it's, it's just it's just the interaction of this guy just basically this other guy to fuck off because he owes him money and doing pie charts for how little he cares about what this guy's asking him to do. It's fantastic. Um, other than that, I laughed a lot at your show. I laughed a lot. That was a great show. Um, I love you. <laughs> it was so good though. Apart from that, Fucking arsehole. It was great. <laughs> so that was a, a good laugh. And then the guys well, I wish you could have seen the Our Soho Theatre show. I know. There was more stories and stuff. With well, that guy just, heckling, I just I felt really like I was shoveling tonight. meat and potatoes. You know? I, I, I really want to go tonight. Oh, please come. Yeah, I'd love to go. Oh, please come. At the comedy store. Oh, Nate. my God. You're I'm, my guest. Totally. I'm definitely coming. Great. I'll tell my boyfriend to come after work. He'll smell of, like, metal, which is quite hot. <laughs> oh, men, men that can either carry things... Or make me laugh. Mine. Mine immediately. Done, 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 done. Wide open. Done. Uh, what What were you most attracted to about your boyfriend when you met him? And before him, what, what attracts you in men other than humor? Well, when I met him, I was I was still with this ex-boyfriend. 
but it was it was the end I mean it was going to be the end of this relationship you know it was it was just the last few months I'd already put a shit into fucking storage <laughs> like let me put it that way and it was we were still you know shagging around I met him and the moment I saw him it was a rehearsal for the last battle I walked in I was like I'm in so much trouble I'm in so much trouble I'm definitely I, I would cheat I would I would definitely cheat with him like literally that's it and then he mentioned that he had a girlfriend as well and we both had partners at the time that were seven years older than us so immediately that kind of because he had a partner I went no 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 that's fine easy and then then I had a massive night out went to her had another rehearsal with him and I suddenly realised I was like no 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 I can't I can't I can't I can't deal with this I literally just want to sit on his face what am I going to do what am I going to do and then I met his girlfriend at the time and I was like I fancy her as well. Maybe we just have a threesome. But then I, I then I had to fuck off and do a, a, a show that was great called Sitting Prit. What was it? Oh, Clean House, amazing. And I don't know why I, I broke up then with my with my then boyfriend. And I thought about him because I'm obsessed with comic books. And my favorite comic book, one one of my favorites, Neverwhere by by Neil Gaiman, who's amazing, is his favorite book. So I don't know why months later I just thought I'm going to send him that comic. I sent this comic book and then a few months later returned it. And I sat on his face. <laughs> and that was his history. <laughs> what are the greatest challenges in having a threesome? Oh, I'll tell you what. It never matches up to your fantasy. Because basically most of the time you don't really know the person. And they, like, it's just the lighting isn't right. You don't, basically, you need a film. You need a, you need a director. That's exactly <laughs> what you fucking need. You need someone. And also, you know, a lot of people kind of stop talking. I talk a lot in sex. So when there's silence, it's like, because you don't really know them. And you're like, if I say something, it's like, oh, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird. I don't know what to do. This is weird right now. I don't know what to do right now in this situation. So I don't think it, it's ever as good. I think it's something you have to work at. I mean, it's even like sex itself. You know, when you first start... I mean, sex, you have to explore it and you have to find to be, you know, how to be comfortable with it. I think the same with threesomes, we just don't have them as often. They're so rare that it's like you don't get the practice you would do. Maybe when I'm 80, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. You laugh. Yeah. Viagra and lube. Done. <laughs> uh, I'm from Florida and apparently the retirement communities yeah. Full are full of fucking chlamydia. Brains. Like, yeah, yeah. Full of chlamydia. They're, they're like massive... Yeah. Uh, you know STDs and stuff Who because gives a shit? Like, Viagra they're all screwing their brains yeah in. so you could be like the hottest 80 year old piece of ass on the planet I can't wait if I live that long <laughs> oh hopefully I'll still be working and, and you know shagging it'd be fantastic well I love that you're so uh, you're so open and funny like you know the, I, I had known you three minutes when you told me <laughs> oh a Scottish accent when I hear it I want him to come on my face I was like this girl is golden <laughs> you're, and, and Joseph told me and it's true. You're like hanging out with a, with a comedian. This is fantastic. You are, That's the you, best. you are exactly like hanging out with a comedian. This is one of the best compliments. I've always wanted to do stand-up because... But I, I, I can't do it. You know, I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. But I had to do a play once called The Clean House where my, my character was... Basically, she was from Brazil and her parents were the funniest people to ever lived. And the dad killed the mum with the funniest joke ever. And she literally died. died. No, no, it, like, in, in my character's parents oh. died, and then he shot himself. So basically, I, my character then, by default, became the funniest person in the world, and she couldn't deal with this pressure. So the play was kind of her, and I opened the play with a monologue in Portuguese, which I don't speak, and I had to make people laugh. And I was like, how, how am I going to do this? So I started going to the comedy store and watching their gong nights, 
Because what you learn from gong nights is basically bef- before even before anyone even comes to the mic, you already there's something in you going no no oh this is gonna be awful. You can there's something about the way someone walks even it's if like, they're doing an awkward thing. It's just something I don't know what it is, and I had to learn what that was so that when I came on doing it in another language, I could still get laughs. And so I pra- I became really obsessed with telling jokes, and I, it kind of got really annoying because I, I started telling really bad rape jokes at gigs, and you know you know the band were like you can't do that and on stage so on stage like, yeah, yeah yeah like right, just like what were the worst rape jokes you would tell awful I tell because my, there's been a massive backlash against rape jokes yeah, yeah and they're, they're awful you know but but I found them funny and that only two people at the back would find them funny and after a while it was like you need to stop doing that like no like you, you can't you can't do these jokes you're not a comedian I was like no I'm sorry what, it's still like the backlash of that old one what was the best joke that your character told in that play Oh, I can't remember because it was another language. Oh. It was just gone. You don't even know what the jokes were. I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> I had just... I mean, I, at the time, I, I did translate it, but now it's just lost in the ether. But the whole play was about timing. And I'm, one night, I'm convinced of the Oxford Playhouse. Every time I've done a show there, it ends up touring in Oxford. And every time I go to Oxford, it's, it's usually a month after we started. So it's a month in, you feel you know your character. You're, e- you're easy in it, you know? And you kind of get it. And so... You, and always at the Oxford Playhouse, that's when I blank. It's happened in like four plays I've done. And out of nowhere, it's like, I don't know what the next line is. Like at all, just blank. Like, because I'm so relaxed that it's blank. And it's really terrifying. And the most terrifying was Clean House because it was, it was, I was setting up all the jokes and it was all about timing. And when I blanked like that, I was like that. To be, a, I can't imagine what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. That is just, I think, I think if I got dumped, like if me and my now boyfriend broke up, I find that whenever you break up with someone, it's, it's a very productive phase in my life because you become very nihilistic. Last time I broke up with someone, I took up uh, flamenco dancing and I started cycling in London, which is a fucking death wish, and I did it. And, uh, and, and so every time you know your heart breaks, you start creating more. So I think if, if I broke up with Sam, I, I'd probably try stand-up because I wouldn't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you don't laugh. My heart's broken. Do you know what I mean? few more breakups and you'll be the perfect person. Oh, done. Just, <laughs> just break my heart. Let's go. Uh, it's interesting how you're talking about the comedians coming out on the gong night. Like you were talking about auditions. I remember many years ago I had a short-lived sitcom and I was the star. And these people would come in for the auditions. And you could tell yeah. before they walked in the room who had it and who didn't. Mm-hmm. And it's like that animalistic fear or, or whatever. Or well, how they control it. You can have the fear as long as you channel it. And that's kind of what you need to know for auditions as well. That's what I meant about the desperation. If you're desperate for a job. You come in with that need. Whereas if you come in, kind of concentrate on the job, but your mind somewhere else in the back is thinking about, I don't know, something important. Like a, even if it's a dinner party that you've got prepared for for seven people. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I've got to get that gherkin and mayonnaise. It somehow helps. So if you were... So think about mayonnaise, basically. <laughs> if you were a stand-up comedian, what would you talk about? Oh, just the list of just so I've got so many stories of things I've done I've stalked I stalked my first boyfriend I stalked my first boyfriend I, I told this last night that one of the songs I wrote for him happened because I cheated on him and he was at drama school and with with a guy at drama school it was awful and I basically walked into his drama school with this kind of red lips that I'm wearing now Ruby Woo yes Mac <laughs> and I kissed the shit out of his locker not just once I like weeping in his clothes that I hadn't like been sleeping in for like two weeks and at the time I was doing a play that was a comedy where my character got dumped so every night I was making people laugh 
with a real scenario that was happening in my life. I thought I was going mad. I was like, I'm going mad. This is what madness is. So I went in and kissed this entire fucking locker. 50 million kisses. Put like a lily and like a rose. And like this poem scrawled in a Sharpie. Just mad, mad, mad. White single female mental. And then, um, and then that didn't work. <laughs> so obviously I'm quite relentless. So then I, I, met, I, I was working with an actor doing this comedy and his wife was deaf. So I was like, teach me this poem in sign language. So I learned that and I went back to school at lunch break so all his mates were watching. And I was like, baby, I've said sorry in so many ways and I've found another way. <laughs> and I started doing a sign language poem that he could, no one knew what the fuck, that just looked mad. The, the, the deaf janitors crying yeah. in the corner. <laughs> just awful. And what I realized, what I've taken away from this is that when, thing is, when men do mad romantic gestures, even if they've cheated, for example, even the most hardened best mate of a girl will go, oh, look, he's really humiliating. He really loves it. Whereas when a woman does it, it's like, you're well shot of her. Like, she's mental. It doesn't, it doesn't, there is definitely a difference in when women are romantic. So now I never do that kind of shit anymore. I mean, it's taken me years, but I am quite naturally romantic. I like making gestures, you know, it's like, be loud and proud about love and just go full balls, ovaries, everything, you know? What is the craziest gesture of love anyone's done for you? Sure, Sam's done so many, but they're always mental. Oh God, what are they? I can't, I can't think. He's done so many. That's the thing about him is that I've, I've met my match with someone that repeatedly does mental stuff. And it's sometimes small things. Like this man will just, I mean, he will just get naked on stage because I tell him to. Like he just does stuff that no other man will do. His gestures on a daily basis. This is why we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. I'm not having a day where you tell me to love someone. We do it the day before. Much better. The 13th, tables are empty everywhere. Yes. We have the book. It's great. But he's very romantic. He does a lot of beautiful things. All his presents have a lot of thoughts. I, you know, I want to be surprised on a Tuesday. I don't want to be surprised on my birthday. I'd rather just a random Tuesday have a bit of love. What is the greatest risk you ever took for love? Ah, that's just so many. Uh, I risk. One when I was when I was young. This is the reason I've got my my email, which is still I can't say it. <laughs> my email is pretty mental. It's invented when I was seventeen, and it's because I met this guy called Patch, who's now one of my best mates. And the fact that I fancy him is just mad. But um, I really fancied him. I mean, I really fell for him immediately. And then he went to Salamanca. So I, I got an email address so we could write to each other. And I'd, 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 I was busking on the tube every weekend from when I came back from boarding school if I wasn't punished and I had to stay in. I was busking and I saved up enough money to buy a ticket to Salamanca to just surprise him. And I was going to run away for like two weeks from school and just go. And uh, he sent me an email. I was about to respond to him going, I've just bought a ticket. And he wrote me this email going, I just met this Swedish bird. She doesn't speak much English, but I'm shagging her. So I drank like a whole bottle of red wine, which you know, when you're 17 is like 10 bottles now. <laughs> singing to Etta Jane to the top of my lungs. And I went anyway and I tried to find him and it didn't work. I'd rather go blind than to see you walk away from me. Ugh. Etta, just... <laughs> oh, Etta. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, but, but I've done more than that. I mean, you know, when you, you have to make a decision on... Med but the, actually, the biggest decision I had to make was when I was still with... Um, when I was deciding on Sam or, or my ex and, and, and another guy. 
And I was like, what do I do? And I was deciding I couldn't, I, every person, every mate I spoke to, they were giving me different advice. And I was nannying at the time. And I was looking after these kids. And one night I was like, fuck it, I'm going to ask. Children always know. Yeah. They just, you know what? They don't know it. They just know. So I told them a little bit about each boy, but in a kind of, not as if it was a partner, but just in a very kind of, so there's this man called Sam, and he's a bit like a pirate. And he's like this, and there's other, you know, and all of them went, the pirate. And I was like, <laughs> done, done, sold. You're absolutely right. Sometimes, you know, so the biggest risk I took really is listening to eight-year-olds and it paid off. <laughs> That's perfect. So what are your greatest aspirations now? It seems like you've already accomplished everything. No, I've got I mean, so like, much. Yeah, so many more albums uh, to record. No, but albums, and... but I also want to help some, like like I said with this charity, the Orchid Project and AHA, like Iron Hair CLE's project. I want to do something. I remember when I was like 21, I met a Saturn, he, a musician, and he said, there comes a point as you get older where you have to make a decision whether you become political or not. And I didn't understand what he meant. And now as I'm getting older, I'm like, actually, that makes sense. Like, I need to do so much more. Like, the, I'm not a good talker. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't be political because I'd be politically incorrect probably most of the time. So I, 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 the only way I can help is by making money through what I do and giving that money to something that can help. So that's what I, I, I need. We need to sort out this kind of woman situation in general. I need to sort that out. I'd love, if I ever have kids and I have a daughter, I wanted to come into a world that's just, so much better than the one that I was born in for women it, all over because I come from a family that's very poor like in Spain my grand just I, I wrote a song for her which is on the new album and it's a little homage to my grandparents because while I'm fucking around having a great time with you guys drinking they literally didn't they they, they just by my, by my age my grand had had like four kids one of them had died my grand was working like five jobs she had more kids after that it was just such a struggle she never and my parents were as immigrants they came here then you know they've spent their whole life working it's like i've got to give something back at some point like this is you know we have to change something so that's my mission to help humanity and, yeah. Well, and, and yeah. womankind yeah, definitely uh the hershey ion ali that's a that's a yeah. good place to start yeah, her, female genital mutilation yeah, get rid of honor killings and yeah the, i mean because i personally once because the reason i've got a thing about it is that when you the you know, the, why they cut women is kind of like they want to make them pure. And basically, by not having sexual freedom, you're also stopping, you know, s sexual freedom is so much a sense of self. Look at all the things that happen in Russia because of the homophobia. I mean, all of that. You need to be able to be sexually free to be a person in society. So when there's still double standards for men and women everywhere, I mean, to a lesser or greater extent, we can't, be we can't move forward. So when we stop the cutting and women can have sex with whoever they want when they want and not be judged like men I think that's going to be a massive step mentally I think we still have a hangover from like Victorian era you know yeah and the greatest creativity comes from sexual desire yeah. absolutely or you know or desiring not being able to have it you know whatever it is it's like it's so important well Nat uh, you meeting you has been one of the highlights of uh, our trip to London yeah. and uh, I'm thrilled to death that uh, I made you laugh yeah, it was so good. I'm, I'm definitely going to do a show tonight. This is happening. I'm, I now don't have to have dinner with my mate Deborah. She's ill, so now I'm free. Perfect. Uh, in closing, do you have any words of wisdom or advice you'd like to give the people of the earth? The people of the earth. <laughs> Hello, people of the earth. I feel I should be in like an alien outfit. People of the earth uh, with a tash. Let me, let me make you an aluminum foil. Hat. Oh, there you go. Get the glow in the dark condom. Let's fucking do it. Uh, 
I don't know. What is the... What is... What advice? Just don't be a cunt. <laughs> don't be a cunt. And just give love. And I remember once... Um, I was very depressed and I decided do you have 118 <coughs> you can text this number any question and I was like I'm literally in a dark place so I just texted this number I was like what is the meaning of life and they were like find out what you do and love it so I think that's that's a good piece. unless you're you know Hitler so maybe not, don't do that <laughs> <that's Hitler>. <laughs> but you know in general just kind of give love to the world you know it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be I think and, and then it can hurt you less if you just give it love. Well, uh... I sound like a fucking hippie and I want to punch myself in the face. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Find love what you love and do it. Uh, you're the best. I can't wait to see you grow further as an artist. <laughs> and uh, long may you run, sister. Oh, thank you. Long may you run. Yes, Tom. Let me finish before I begin. Speakers gonna love us and dungeon. Give that that guy. No sleep, speed bump, speed dating. Oh, when she's got a rush, how I got finger. And the city boys picking up the tap on her. She's a carnival flower. And she's watered by the sun as the streets sing her. So I guess we'll do it her way. 